All right, so I'm the special guest speaker, uh, but <clears throat> gave y'all hope for a second there. But um, hey, we, we've been in this series, Family Matters, uh, for, for the past little bit, kind of taking a shift these next three weeks. Uh, the first two weeks, if you've been with us, uh, we've really kind of spoken about the, the family unit as a whole and the good and the bad of it. Uh, and these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at kind of specific age demographics uh, in the family. And, and so this week we're looking at teenagers specifically, and the teenagers kind of into young adulthood span. And so uh, I'm really excited about it. I am a student pastor, so I, I love talking about this. It's really my passion and something that I, I could talk about for a very long time. And so my hope and goal today is that everything comes across clear uh, and we're not here for, for too long and able to get the information out to y'all. But um, I, I love teenagers, though. I'm around them more than I think anybody who doesn't have a teenager themselves. Uh, and so I spend a lot of time with them. I know their language, right? I know what gatekeeping is. Uh, I know what an op is. Uh, I know how stupid I sound saying that on stage in front of all of you. Like, I'm, I'm aware of all those things. Um, and so you can trust me, is what I'm saying. So this first little bit, uh, uh, the talk today is going to be structured around uh, three questions uh, that I want us to, to ask ourselves and think about. And, and we're going to approach, we're not necessarily even going to answer them fully today, but I want you to, to be thinking about them and, and what this looks like and what your thoughts are on these as I talk. So the, the first question is this, is it's who are our teenagers becoming? Right? Who are our teenagers becoming? And so some of these things that I'll read, some of them are, are legitimate data statistics, and some of them are just, I'm around them a lot, and I know this, okay? So the first one falls in this category, which is teenagers are just funny, right? They're, they're, I think they're the funniest age demographic. I, I don't have any stats to back this up, but they, they're just hilarious. I, I don't know why they are. It's, I don't know if it's just because of the time spot they're in, uh, but quick story example that's the most appropriate of the ones I could think of last night, at least. Uh, we have a we have a freshman here, name is Grant. We have a senior here whose name is Garrett. And every time Garrett shoots a jump shot in our warehouse gym, Grant refers to him as Larry Bird. And and it shouldn't be as funny as it is, but it makes me laugh every single time to think that Larry Bird's legacy is being carried on in the halls of JSM every single week. Uh, and so that's that's the that's the best one I got for you today. See me after for better, but. Um, but they're funny. The teenagers, they care too, right? They care about something, right? It's different for each one, but they care very easily, right? For some of them, it's Taylor Swift. For some of them, it's sports. For some of them, it's school. But they care about something, right? Sometimes it's just kind of figuring out what that thing is to unlock your relationship with them, right? If you're a parent, you know this, right? You're trying to figure out what is it my kid cares about, but, but they care about something, and, and it's really easy for them to care, Right? They, they, have their, they haven't grown old and hardened by life like adults have sometimes. Right? It's easy for them to still care and obsess about something. Right? And, I, and I love that about them because it can bring so much joy in their life. Right? They're more open on, on mental health and talking about mental health, which, which is, again, an awesome thing to be more vulnerable and open about. But, but part of the reason they're more open to talking about that is, is some negative things. And, and I don't want this to sound doomsday sermon or anything like that, but these are just kind of realities. And, and I want to be clear, too, these are generals, right? Each teenager is an individual. I don't want you going home and thinking that your kid automatically is struggling with all of these things that I'm about to talk about. Uh, these are general things that seem to be true, but, but teenagers are individuals, and we do them a great disservice when we just talk about them generally. Right? And we just assume that they're all struggling with the same thing. 
where they're all burdened by the same thing, right? Treat them as individuals, right? You will have a much better relationship with all of them when you don't assume and when you treat them as a person, okay? But the things that are, are realities, uh, kind of the, the marker for a lot of, of people who read into this a lot for time spent on social media is, is this five hour a day, which sounds absurd probably to a lot of you to think spending five hours each day on social media. But when they hit this number, uh, teenage girls are three times more likely and teenage boys are two times more likely to be depressed if they spend five hours a day on social media. Do you want to guess what the average amount of time a teenager spends on social media is? It's five hours, right? So this is the average mark, and when they hit that mark, things start kind of spiraling and go up, all right? Teenagers, they're, they're more risk-averse now than they were in previous generations, which I shared that a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, and some of the parents were like, that's a lie. There's no way that's true. You don't know my kid. Uh, but when, the way they define risk-averse is making decisions like underage drinking, uh, underage getting together, we'll say, and things like that is how they define risk-averse, right? That's happening less. But what's also happening less because of that is teenagers aren't getting their license when they turn 16. They're not going on as many dates. They're not going out with their friends as much. And which checks out because across the population, uh, Americans on average are spending 11 hours a day alone. Right? And again, that's not everyone, right? but that's on average 11 hours a day. And because of that, nearly half of teenagers experience something under the umbrella of what they call digital stress. All right, digital stress is things like connection overload. So like getting so many notifications all the time sent to their phone, sent to their iPad, sent to their computer, all right? FOMO, fear of missing out, right? They see somebody else doing something and they, they aren't there because they're looking at it on their phone, right? And wanting to be a part of it, right? Be, feel the pressure, the stress of feeling like you always are online or always have to be online in case you miss something, all right? And then there's something called approval anxiety, uh, which is basically that they feel their worth about themselves is based on how many likes their last post got, Right, or how many people see them online, right, or whatever the kind of their image is in that way. So those are what kind of is under digital stress, and that's nearly half of teenagers feel that in some form, in some way. And then my favorite thing is this. There, there was a recent survey that asked teenagers to give three words to describe how they felt about school. Uh, and the three words were this, and don't say it too loud if you agree with it, is bored, tired, and pressured. There are three words to describe school, this great institution that's supposed to make them a better person and healthier. Makes them feel bored, makes them feel tired, and makes them feel pressured. All right, Mitch Princeton has a quote that I love. It says, the teenage brain has a hypersensitive gas pedal with relatively low-functioning brakes. That's how he describes it. Uh, and some of you are thinking, are you talking about my teenager's actual driving habits? Because they also drive like they have a hypersensitive gas pedal and no brakes. But it's talking about their brain more. Right, that, that they are all gas and they don't know when to stop. Uh, which makes sense, because if you think about it, they have, and, and we're not going to play the game of like, is it harder to be a teenager or is it harder to be a Christian in today's world? I think that's a ridiculous game. Right? I think it's been hard to be a Christian all throughout since Jesus started walking on earth. Right? It's always been difficult in different ways, but, but when we think about that, the, the options they have to meet what they want is, is endless. Right? The amount of doors they could walk through to get what they want. I, I think it boils down to that teenagers are looking for three things specifically. All right? They're looking for purpose, they're looking for identity, and they're looking for connection. 
And when we talk about connection, we mean being seen, being, being known, being cared for. Right? They're, they're looking and they're desiring these three good things that we all want. The problem is there's so many doors and they don't know how to stop at any of them. Right? There's just all of these options they can walk through that, ha- that give the potential of meeting those needs. And we know, having gone through the teenage years, if that's the category you fall in, you know what it's, what it's like, but the, the, the immensity of doors they can walk through, it's huge. And, and they struggle sometimes to stop at the right one or, or risk driving by better options than the one they walk through. I, I, this quote is my, kind of my one of the moment right now that center this talk around. Uh, but it's from, from Kyle Porter. He says, who you become matters far more than what you could ever possibly achieve. Right, who you become matters far more than what you could ever possibly achieve, which is, which is something I think we all inherently agree with. Right? Nobody, nobody's probably arguing with that statement in their souls. Right? They know that, that what some writers call eulogy virtues matter more than resume virtues. Right? Your character matters more than what you do. But the question that I think is, is a better one is, are we more focused with specifically forming our teenagers are we more focused on who they are becoming or who, what they're achieving? I think that's something we can wrestle with a little more. We know it's true, but in terms of how we're forming them, what the culture is pointing them towards around them, right? is it more focused on achievement or is it more focused on who you're becoming? Right? Is your home, is your parenting more focused on who they're becoming or what they're achieving. Are teenagers, are you thinking more about who you're going to become or what you can achieve in life? All right, another way to think about um, this, who you become, is, is through the lens of forming, right? We're all being formed every day. We're being formed into more of a whole person, right? We're always being influenced. We're always being shaped in different ways. And so formation is, is intensely important, right? And it's always happening around us every single day. And, and it kind of boils down to, the question is, are we being conformed or are we being transformed? Right? This isn't a new question, and, and I actually pulled it from Romans 12, so I didn't just come up with that out of thin air. Uh, but Romans 12, 2 is our scripture for today, and it reads this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right, to conform to something, uh, it, it means to be shaped by a pattern or a mold. Right, the image that's given sometimes is, is to something to literally be pressed into a mold. As you think you have two lumps of Play-Doh, I actually brought out Play-Doh in the first service, and it, it didn't go as good in my head as I thought it was. So I'm just going to tell you now. But, but it's like taking two lumps of Play-Doh, and you just press them together back into one. And they're just still kind of one blob of something. Right, to be transformed is to take a separate lump of Play-Doh and to turn it into something else. That's right, what people do with origami from a basic piece of paper. That's right, what artists can do. Right, as they transform it, it's still the same thing. Right, it's the same word used here in this verse that's used uh, in the story of Jesus' transfiguration in the Gospels, now, where Jesus is, is still Jesus, but he has some type of different form and being. Right, it's the same word that's used here, the idea being that it, you're, you're still you, right? you're still a person, but when you follow Jesus, there's some type of transformation that happens. And it means you're not just being conformed to what's around. You're not being pressed into what everybody else is doing or what you could fall into, but you are turning into something different. There's this transformation. 
that happens. And, and the reality is this. Our teenagers, if, if we take our hands completely off the wheel and, and just say, hey, like you're going to just be whatever happens to your life, right? based on those things I read earlier, based on the reality of what their situation is, of what culture is, and this has been true throughout time, but is it, but it's definitely true now. They'll be conformed into something. And, and right now, what they are being conformed into, if, if they're not met with anything that can transform them, right? This is, this is worst case scenario we're talking. But if they're just conformed and pressed into the mold, what's happening is they're becoming people who are anxious, people who are hyper-competitive, people who are distracted, people who are apathetic, and people who are shallow. But that's the reality. When we're just formed, when we're just letting them be pressed into a mold of what's around them, they will turn into these type of people. It's the truth. And, and it's what teenagers, in some sense, they may struggle with one of those more than the other if they've been met with some type of transformational power. Right? These are things that they wrestle with and that we wrestle with throughout our lives. But if we completely let go and say, hey, just let them turn into what they turn into, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put my hands on them at all and not influence them at all, which, which of course none of us fully do, but the point is that when what happens is this is what they get conformed into. This is the mold that they're being pressed into. We obviously, we don't want this, right? Nobody wants to deal with people who are these things. Nobody wants to be that type of person. I don't think anybody here, no matter how well I know you, would, would argue that, right? We don't want people who are always anxious, who are hyper-competitive, who are distracted, who are shallow. But we need to ask ourselves the second question which is, who do we want our teenagers to become? Who do we want them to become? And, and sure, there's, there's the obvious answer. We want them to become more like Jesus. And, and it's true. That is the goal. We want them to become more like that. But it's, our teenagers will conform to the patterns of culture if they're not transformed to look more like Jesus. Right? Our teenagers will conform to the patterns of culture if they're not transformed to look more like Jesus. It's It's, it's urgent. Right? There, there are two decisions. There's one decision to make and two options. It's either to be conformed, to be pressed in, or to be transformed into something different. All right? And this ends up looking like a lot of different things, and we don't have the time to press on every one. But to put it simply, I think Dallas Willard says it best, that it's really just training our teenagers to make the next right decision. Right? And not the next right decision that they think is right, not the next right decision that a good person would make, but the next right decision that Jesus would make, right? Thinking how Jesus thinks, feeling how Jesus feels, acting how Jesus acts, right? Seeking out who Jesus seeks out. Right? That's what being becoming more like Jesus looks like. Now, quick side street to go on. Something that is, that is slipped in, almost unnoticed. I don't know where or how. It's just, again, something I've noticed generally is there's this temptation that is, that is ultimately a lie that teenagers, we don't know if they're ready to handle this. Meaning like, we don't know if they're ready to handle the full thing, so we kind of set a lesser goal for them. And you're like, okay, you don't, you're not, I mean, you're still just a teenager, so like you don't have it all figured out. So let's just say you need to be like this. And you, you can figure out the rest later. I remember being told in high school, like when I was going to college, like, hey, you just kind of enjoy the next little bit, and you'll, you can kind of figure it out when you get done. 
And I took that to heart, and I got engaged and took a full-time job in college. So I did exactly probably what they were thinking. But, but the point is that we, we, take, we kind of treat them like they just need to take some time to figure it out. They don't need to take it seriously yet. And it is true. Teenagers do not have it all figured out. I point you to many examples. Right, they're still developing, absolutely. They're not going to be able to get it all right. But there are, there are two time periods in our life that we are most easily formed, for lack of a better word, right? where we're most easily molded. Right? The first is the first year of our life. So from birth to your first birthday, Jennifer, our children's director, her child just had her first birthday. So that year, I told Jennifer, no pressure, but like that year mattered a lot. That is when we're most easily formed. That's one section of time. And the second time that we're most easily formed is our teenage years. Right, that's when we're most easily formed and shaped into who we're going to be. And, and people who've studied have also said it's gradual, so even more towards the front end is when we're more susceptible to this forming. All right, so my question is then, how can we not take formation seriously during those years? Right, if those are really the years where we're more easily going to be formed, we, we can't have the expectation that we just kind of take full hands off and, and just let them become who they become and then know that, oh, we'll just kind of figure it out when they're 25. When they're 25, it can be too late for some of them. Right? And it's not that we can't change at a later age. We absolutely can, and we've seen some miracle stories where that has happened. But, but formation can more easily happen during these years. I mean, think about it. We don't let a baby just try to figure it out on its own. Right? We don't turn a one-year-old loose and think like, ah, he'll like he'll probably figure out that he needs to go to his mother for food and nourishment and love. Or the same thing, well, he'll just figure it out. All right, and so I'm not, I'm not advocating for, for babying your teenagers. Like, they need to fall flat on their face and make mistakes, right? They need to suffer the consequences of their own actions. All right, absolutely full stop. You will never hear me disagree with that. They, they need to, to, to feel what that's like to fail. And you need to let them do that. You don't always need to catch them when they fall. But we don't need obsessive overwatch, but we don't need to just think that they're just going to fall into following Jesus. Right? It's not just going to happen. Right? We, we have to be intentional about how we're forming them, intentional about what we're doing with them, about where we're placing them. Right? They're looking for purpose. They're looking for what to follow. They're looking for their identity. They're looking for connection. Who are we if we know that that's found in Jesus to keep that from them in any way? Who are we to not keep our hand guiding them on their back? Who are we to, again, not you let them fall sometimes and have to figure it out? Let them make that decision themselves. But, but this is the most important decision of our lives. We know that. We know that who they become is important. And so to just hope and say, like, no, I want them to completely have that happen themselves, and I, I don't want any pressure. It's not pressure, but, but this is important. And this is where they're most easily formed. Right? We know that the disciples themselves were teenagers. Right? We know this from Matthew 17. We're relatively confident that Jesus and Peter, they're the only ones that pay the temple tax. And the temple tax was for everybody over the age of 18 who was an adult. Right, so that means we're pretty confident that every other disciple was a teenager, if not Peter still. And, and it's, it's kind of incredible. It hit me this week, like, just how much of a genius Jesus is. Before we had any data to know that this was the most formational time for them, Jesus was like, you know who needs to be around me the most? 
teenagers, people who are most easily formed, who are most susceptible to all these different influences. Right? And yes, it is a different time back then. We, we don't have the same rabbi culture where you would leave and follow this teacher for most of your life to, to be able to become one. Right? We have different ways to school now. We have different things going on in their life, absolutely. But the truth still remains that this is where they're most easily formed. And so we need to take this time seriously. We're not going to just fall into following Jesus. Right? We can't just rely on, on that it's going to happen. Right? We can be intentional about what we're forming them to be. Right? Conforming is passive. Transforming is active. Right? We're actively intentional and what we're forming them to be. That's part of our role as people who are followers of Jesus. So the question then is, how, how do we change their formation? If that's what they're actively being formed, how do we change their formation to become more like Jesus, right? While still meeting their needs and their desires. And, and Romans 12 answers this for us through this renewing of our mind is the statement Paul gives. That, that we're, it's supposed to happen through the renewal of their mind. All right, our mind is renewed. There's, there's a lot of different ways that it happens specifically. And right, we don't have time to kind of explore every single spot. But one, we do know that to be renewed, we need a source. We need something outside of us to renew. All right, we need a, a source of power, a source of energy. And, and the Lord provides this through his spirit. The spirit living in us, that acts as this renewing in ourselves. All right, because we know they're already looking for it. Right, they're already looking for this purpose, for this identity, for this connection. And, and some of you may still be, as adults, looking for it. Still maybe haven't figured it out. Still are kind of going up and down with this wrestling. And that's exactly how they're already starting to feel. Right? They're not finding it in the world. Right? They're growing restless. And this answer is found in this new and better way to live, this transformation it's not through just pressing into the mold. It's through transformation. A, a better kind of way to think about it, to give a better image, is through renovation. Right, me and Lily, we just moved into a new house in November, um, and I made the ridiculous assertion to think that we were just going to move our stuff from our old house into our new house. Right, that, that, that we didn't need to get new stuff. We had stuff. We could just put it there. Right, we didn't need to get a new bookshelf. We have an old bookshelf. Uh, I was completely wrong, of course, you know this, um, and that is not how it works. Right? You have to get new things because that was for the old house, is what I was told. I didn't know that when I was purchasing it the first time, but now that I'm purchasing it the second time, I'm very aware of this, that there is a chance that we need to completely redo, right? When we moved into the house, we, we flipped the rooms that the living room was in and the dining room was in. Now that the living room is where the dining room was and the dining room is where the living room is. Right, we're repainting things. We're putting new things in. Right? And all of our old stuff that I thought was going in the new house is now sitting in a shed outside of our house and not being used and currently going to be on Facebook Marketplace in the next month if you want to check it out but, and, and help me out a little bit. But, but this, this renovation, we, we, I mentioned that because we treat discipleship, we treat formation in the same way. That, that, it's, that it's as simple as just rearranging rooms, as putting stuff kind of in a new house and not realizing that often it's, it's, a, it's a renovation. It's not happening just through rearranging the chairs 
Right? We, we've probably all heard the adage of how ridiculous it is to rearrange the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Right? It's already going. Right? But we, we fall into this same trap with formation where we think like, oh, to, to become more like Jesus, this thing I'm really struggling with that's a big part of my life, I, I just need to like try harder to do it less. Right? And that'll make it better. This, this temptation that, that keeps overcoming me, well, I don't need to eliminate it fully from my life. I just need to kind of stick it over there in the corner. Right? We, don't, we don't move it out. We don't do a complete renovation. We think that it can just stay in the new house. It can stay in our new mind. It can stay in our new souls. And it's not going to affect us as much. And that's not how formation works. Right? We can't just keep the old. Right? Transformation, it's a total difference of a new thing. The same being of the same house, of the same person, but it's, it's making it new. It's a renovation that needs to happen in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. Right? And we may need to take things out of some important rooms. Right? We may need to encourage our teenagers to, to not put that thing in the center. That that thing doesn't need to be the centerpiece of your life. It can still be a part of it, right? It's still important. It's still a spot for growth. But maybe it doesn't need to be there. Or maybe it needs to move, be moved out for a little bit. Maybe we need to renovate our, our hearts and our minds because they're looking for it. And we need to change where it's going. One kind of way that I just want to hit on specifically that, that is really important to us at, at JSM and, and myself is, is connection, right? It's one of those three things I talked about, and, and, and we feel really passionate about this, that, that connection is really the heartbeat for teenagers. Right? If they feel connected, if they are connected in these four ways that I'm going to share with you, I feel really confident that they're going to be okay, right? That our goal when they graduate high school, when they go from JSM into college or whatever that next step is, if they have these four connections, they're going to be good. Right? They may not have it all figured out. They may still have a lot of things to wrestle with. They may have anxieties to overcome. They may have stress to deal with. They may have battles still to fight down the road. But if they have these four connections, right, they, they have things lined up. One of them may be weak signal when they graduate, but if they still have it, I know that they know where to go. And, and it's these four things. One is to connect students with God. Obvious. It's Sunday morning at church. I'm going to tell you to connect to God. But but it is the most important thing. We know from Ephesians 3 that, that there is such joy and love that can come from being rooted and established in the faith. Right? And so we, we, we prioritize this, right? That if we get this connection right, if we're connected with God, then they, they're headed down that right track. They know where to turn to. They know who to go to for the ultimate questions in life. If they have these other three, but don't have that, they're still left searching because they don't have the ultimate authority. They don't have the ultimate control over their lives with the Lord. All right, the second is to connect students with each other. All right, and specifically to do that here, right? To find their connection here. Over 50% of teenagers say that they very much struggle or definitely struggle with loneliness. All right, it's, it's a real thing they're looking for and, and they will find it. They will get connected and plugged in somewhere. We want it to be with the walls of the church, as Paul says in Romans 1, to mutually encourage one another in the faith. Right? We know when it's found through here, when it's found through the body of believers and found through Jesus and found through people meeting in his name, 
That's a better form of connection. So we want them to be connected to each other, to know they're not alone. Third is, is to connect students to their families. And, and this is the most difficult one. It's really the most difficult one for me to talk about because I know that there is a lot of our students who to tell them they need to connect more to their families, it sounds like that's the thing they need to actually remove from their life. And when I talk about renovation, that's the thing that's hindering them from following Jesus. And, and it breaks my heart to, to know that, that that is the hindrance for them. But the Lord promises, as we're told, it's the only commandment with a promise. That those who, who honor their family, whatever that word honor means, we've wrestled with it on Wednesday nights. There's not a great, clear picture of exactly what it looks like for everyone. But it's the only commandment with a promise that things will go well with you. And so we encourage our students, no matter what their family situation is, we have those who don't know their parents, who are completely adopted and have no contact with others, right, who are, who are struggling and potentially will always struggle with who their family actually is. But we know the importance of connecting to their family. That's why we're doing this series. That's why we're encouraging them to do that as well, to find what does it mean to be connected to your family. It's important. And when we know that, we prioritize it. And fourthly, I don't think fourthly is a word anyways, but finally, <laughs> connecting students to the church. I, we, we know that the, there's a special part about the body of believers, right? This place isn't doesn't have the salvation power in it itself, but we know that there is an importance of being connected to a local church, being connected to where you can find your community here, of find a regular routine and habit where you can hear from God here. And so we want them to know that this is a place they can go to, and this is a place where they can want to be, and we want to make it a place they want to be. And so they can know when they go off, when they move on from journey, when they go to move to a different state or move to a different college, they can know, hey, I need to connect to a church. And we know the importance that can come from it. And so our mission statement for JSM is that we connect with students by coming alongside them in order to point them towards and grow them in a relationship with Jesus. That's what we're about. Right? Your, your students are in good hands when they're with us. That's what we're prioritizing for them. We want them to get these four connections. And, and this is our role. But our final question, what is, what is everyone else's? What is our role in who we want teenagers to become? And we all have one, no matter where. You're, you're probably falling in one of these three categories today. One is that you're a teenager, yourself. And for you, I read you this quote. You've already heard it on the Wednesday night about three months ago, so you probably forgot it like everything else. But it says this. It's from Sky Jathani's book, What If Jesus Was Serious? Uh, recent studies say that increasing numbers of Christians, particularly young adults, are falling away from the faith. I wonder whether part of the problem is a Christianity that's more focused in building impressive houses rather than strong foundations. Right, teenagers don't try to build impressive houses. Right, without a foundation, they fall. They crumble. They don't stand the test. Right, like we sang earlier, we, we need a firm foundation. So train and strengthen. Give your, give your faith roots and depth. Don't settle, don't settle for shallow. Right, don't settle for the shifting sands. Don't try to press into the mold. Right, root yourself, be rooted and established in the faith, transformed into a new way of thinking, renewing your mind. Right, check your connections, right? Those four that we just read, like, are you finding those? Do you know where to find those? Do you know that they're a priority? Is one of them lacking? How can you get better at that? How can you look for that? For, for my parents of teenagers, uh, I, I'm not a parent of a teenager, but I, I do believe this to be true. This is from, from Christian Smith, a college professor. 
He said, after spending two decades studying the religious and spiritual lives of American adolescents, among all possible influences, parents exert far and away the greatest influence on their children's religious outcomes. You are all having different situations with your kids right now. Right? Some of you are struggling deeply with the digital technology world. Some of you are struggling with, with these other things that are just pressing in and just bearing a weight on your teenagers' lives or your younger children's lives. And, and there's not a one-size like band-aid that I can tell you from stage to fix it. Right? We don't have all the answers, but if I can just encourage you to do one thing that, that I think will help more than anything else is to talk about your faith. Right? Just, just talk. It doesn't matter if you are struggling with it right now. Don't try to have all the answers. Don't send them here thinking that we have all the answers either, because we don't. Right? But, but talk about it with your kids. If you're wrestling with something, if you don't know how something works, share it with them. Right? If you kind of have a weak signal strength in one of those connection areas, share it with them. Because chances are, if you struggle with it, your kid's probably going to struggle with it too. They got the same DNA. Right? Share your faith with them. Talk about it with them in whatever that looks like. Right? You have influence over them. Right? Guide them. Be intentional and form it. Right? And it, there is no guarantee as to what's going to happen. You can be what I call a Proverbs family, and you're training up a child in the way that it should go, and it's still not happening. That's a reality a lot of you face. But, but when we talk about our faith, when we put it in front of our kids, when we put it in front of our teenagers, we can know that we are doing what we can do and leaving the rest in God's hands. And then finally, there's a category of some of you who you feel like you may have picked the wrong day to come to church because you don't have any impact on teenagers. Right? You don't have one directly in your life. Maybe yours already grew up and grew out of the teenage years. Maybe you just don't have any interaction with teenagers at all. But you still have a role. And, and it's, it's cliche, like, yeah, they're the next generation. Like, that's true. But I'm going to try to avoid saying that because it just sounds too youth pastory. But, but the truth is, like, one day they're going to be 30 and they're probably going to be your boss. Right? And, if, and if we've just let them be conformed, and let them be formed into to whatever we read earlier. It's hyper-competitive, distracted, unable to focus, shallow, trying to find their purpose and identity in all these different vices. It's going to be a, a problem for all of us. And when we let that be the formation process, then there's disastrous results. Conformed teenagers turn into conformed adults. And so we need to, one, take our own formation seriously, right? Be formed yourself. Even if you don't have a teenager in your life, be diligent about your own formation. Because all you may be able to do is just, whenever you get that chance to interact with a teenager, do me one favor from your youth pastor. Don't look down on them. Right? Don't look down. Don't push them aside. Right? Let them ask questions. Let them, let them be around you. Give them hope because... The, the share of American 12th graders who agreed with the statement that it is hard to have hope in the world and that people like me don't have much of a chance at a successful life has surged since 2004. And these kids that were born in 2004, they would be turning 20 years old this year. So basically all the current teenagers believe this. Right? That it's hard to have hope. Right? Previous generations, you may have grown up just assuming that, yeah, things are going to be great because we're here. 
Like, that's just what happens in life is things are good. We're in America. Things turn out good always. They don't feel that same way. They don't feel like things are just going to turn out good. They look around and think, oh my goodness, we're not even going to be here in 15 years. Like, do we not see what's happening all around? They're, they're struggling to have hope. And so if all we can do is, is, is know as people who believe and follow Jesus that there is hope in this world because we know there is hope over this world, that there is hope found in a person, in a relationship with Jesus, if we can live our lives knowing that, that alone is playing a part and playing a role in the formation of the future of our next generation. All right, through the life of Jesus, we know that we have the opportunity of relationship with the giver of life and of all good things, both in this world and the next, and that he cares about us right now. We have a hope to offer them. All right, I, I think Jesus is speaking just as clearly today to teenagers as he did to teenagers 2,000 years ago. He's saying the same thing he told them, which is come and follow me. The message hasn't changed. The communication is still just as clear. There is more with him. There is life with him. So come and follow me. All right, become like me. Be with me. I can give you life. I can give you more. And so how can you, how can me and you, how can we live our life with hope that inspires others to hope? Because more than anything right now, our teenagers and ourselves, we need hope. We need hope that there's something coming. And so how can we live our lives full of hope? You don't have to jump in and serve in student ministry. I would love for you to. If you want to talk afterwards, we can. Right? You don't have to try to seek out a teenager to have a conversation with every single day of the week. That would probably be a little creepy in some circumstances. But take advantage of those times you do have and just live your life full of hope because they see that. And if that alone can help form them along the path of becoming more like Jesus, then, then we are following him fully and we're becoming more like Jesus. So Lord, we, we pray that, that you let us live these hope-filled lives. That we don't, we don't grow into the mold. We don't allow ourselves to just be pushed into this mold of, of culture, of anxiety, of, of hyper-distraction, of hyper-competitiveness, of achievement, Lord. No, we know that you care about who we become, and we care about who we become. But Lord, are, are we living lives like it? Are we living lives hope-filled, intentional, are we trying to form both ourselves and those around us into that? Lord, give us the peace and confidence to know that if we can be a guide to our teenagers in those most formative years, we are becoming more like Jesus ourselves. Lord, make ourselves available to, to what you want to do in our life, God, because we know that there is so much hope to give. Give us the confidence, the expectancy to do that in our daily lives. We pray for our next generation. We pray that they are hopeful. Pray that they go forth and make more disciples just like you've called them to, Lord. Let them answer the call that you've given us, that you've given the same for 2,000 years, to come and follow you. Because we know there's more, we know there's life, we know what we're after is found in you, God. Let us follow after you. We ask these things in your son's name.